Welcome sports fans to the hottest sports podcast in the game, JT and the Don with your hosts, Jimmy Thompson and Donato Bucci. They're covering the most current issues in sports from the 305 to the 412 and all the way to the West Coast. You can follow them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at JT and the Don or email them at JT and the Don at gmail.com. Now take it away, guys. Welcome to JT and the Don, our first episode of 2020, the new year. I'm Donato Bucci, the Don. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio app, and anywhere you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. Let me welcome in for the first time in 2020, everyone's favorite, Jimmy Thompson, JT. How you feeling? I'm feeling like it's a new year, new me, but I already broke all my resolutions, though, so... And you're gonna know. lose, and you're gonna continue to lose to me though, in the, on the show. So, oh, that'll never happen. Whatever. See, there, whatever. there, there you go. I thought you were gonna mature this year. There you go. Already starting stuff, picking fights. I, I never. You're just, the, just the same old jerk and the same old bully. I, I see wow. how it's, it's, it's gonna be more of the same this year on this show. Wow, wow, that hurts. That yeah, hurts. It, it should. You know what? Because in 2020, I'm gonna stand up for myself. I'm not taking this anymore from you. <laughs> But I tell you what, <laughs> speaking of things changing, did you watch the first round of the NFL playoffs last weekend? Man, were those games. Of course. Like, every game was crazy. They were. They were great games. Yeah, but everybody's talking about one game in specific, and it's the Patriots. The Saints? Season. The Saints game? Well, we'll get to that. We'll get to oh, that. Oh, okay, okay. They, but only only people in New Orleans are talking about that game. Nobody else cares. Everybody else has moved on <laughs> on the Cincinnati <laughs> So, but no, uh, one of the biggest storylines before the weekend and then after the weekend was the Patriots, and they ended up losing to the Titans 20-13. to So, fresh off a loss, they're out in the wild card round. Everybody wants to know, is the Patriots dynasty dead? Like, that's like the main thing everybody's talking about. What do you think? No, it's, it's not. As long as Bill Belichick is there, Patriots are the Patriots. It's going to be done the Patriots way. They're going to make the playoffs and have a shot at the Super Bowl. Uh, Usually the offense figures it out, right? Like normally toward the end of the year or the defense has to figure it out. One of the sides usually figures it out. But this year the offense was not able to do that. So I think they will go get some weapons, especially a tight end. Like, yes, you know, Ben Watson's been good in his career, but no, he's he not... hasn't. He's old. <laughs> but in his career, he's been good he's as okay. a pass catching tight end. Yeah, he's okay. But what I'm saying is, he's not Gronk. So they need weapons. He's going to go get a tight end, meaning Bill Belichick. And Brady was not healthy this year. So Brady, or at least I don't think so, I don't think he was 100% healthy. And so. That hurt as well as far as their offense in addition to minus the weapons. So you think they're just going to get a few guys and come back and everything's going to be the same. So you're saying that Brady's coming back. Well, you, you jumped ahead. No, no, no. But, no. but, but, but yes, but, but, to but, steal but, but, my you know, thunder. Yeah, I know yes. I jumped, but I want to go there because you're just making okay. it seem like, oh, <laughs> it was just a down year. They'll be back next year. Brady's back. So Yeah, I, so, I think, yes, to answer your question, yes, he will be back because look at it this way. Where else is he really going to go for a year or two and be loved the way he is in New England by an owner like Robert Kraft as well as 
Don't say you don't can, say Bill Belichick because it's clear Bill Belichick does not love Tom Brady. No, 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 no. It's he not, can get better love from a coach somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, it's not unconditional love by Bill Belichick. It's, I don't even but, know if it's love, to be honest with you. <laughs> but the other part of it is how can he go out like that? What his last throw ever was like a pick six or something, or one of his last throws to go out that way. Just I don't think he wants to end it that way. And he said he still has more to give. And the Patriots I think we'll actually pay him more money this time because what is their other option right now? I'm on they, the fence because I want I want to say I want to agree with you and say look, it's fine. They had a down year. Uh, Brady will be back uh, and they'll bounce back and the dynasty's not over. But I think it is just because I think those three in Kraft, Brady, and Belichick. I think being together for 20 years, I think they're ready to just part ways. And like I feel like they've the Three of them have done different things, especially this year, to let you know that it's over. One, they let Brady, who's a legend, go into his final year without an extension. Like that's like lame duck status. You can't you don't do that to legends, especially when he's still at a level where he's winning Super Bowls. I mean, everybody probably picked the Patriots to win it this year. Even when they were struggling and not looking like the Patriots of old, everybody just assumed Brady's gonna get it done, Belichick's gonna get it done, they're gonna win the Super Bowl. He does he they didn't extend him at any point during the year. Belichick, I don't know for whatever reason if he does this on purpose, but he always seems to do little things that sabotage the Patriots when he wants to get his way and kind of stick it to Brady. And one of the things that really just boggled my mind this year is he's in charge of personnel. He went and got zero weapons. Like, you knew you had no weapons on the team when the season started. You knew Gronk wasn't coming back. You knew Edelman was an older injury-prone receiver. He's your best weapon. You really thought Philip Dorsett was going to take you to the Super Bowl? You didn't make any moves. You tried to make a half-hearted move to get A.B., but you didn't fight to keep him. You got rid of him ASAP when now other teams are going to work him out and bring him in. And I know we talked about this on a previous show. You didn't make a move for a tight end. You could have just went and offered whatever first-round pick you're not going to use and gave it to the Tampa Bay Bucks and got O.J. Howard, and then maybe the Patriots are still in the playoffs. But I think it was a calculated move by Belichick to not get any weapons, to sabotage Brady, so he's – one step further to getting out the door and Kraft, I think, I think he just wants to get out of it because he, I feel like he hasn't been pushing for Tom Brady, even like in the interviews that I've heard and the comments that I've heard after the loss, he's not pushing for Belichick to say, look, you got to give Brady another year. You got to give him another year. He's like, you know what? We want Tom back. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So all three of them are doing and saying things to let me know that this really might be the end. And if the three of them split up, it's definitely over. But but I, but I feel like – sorry to cut you off. But I feel like that's always the way the Patriots do it, right? Nah, this like, one this – All one of feels, a sudden, like, this feels they figure different. things out. This you know? feels – I don't know. This feels different, though, but – we Maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Well, this, well, this, I, think, I think he will test the free agency, but I think at the end of the day, he's going to go back. Now, I hate to agree with you because I always think you're wrong. Usually, I do think somehow he stays in New England. But if I were him, I'd give the Chargers a look. That team seems like it's tailor-made for him to walk in. They got good defense. They got weapons on offense. They got a decent O-line. They got a good coach. So, I think he should do that. But all so all, do you? So, do you think he's going to the Chargers or the Patriots, if you had to say it right now? I think he's going to the Chargers. Okay. I'm saying Patriots, but if there's another team, I would say the Cowboys. I don't. I think they let Dak walk, bring in Tom Brady for two years, and try to win with what they got. Mm, interesting. 
he definitely would listen to Jerry Jones. But let's and Andy's in the NFC. Doesn't have to worry about the Patriots until the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, Patriots don't even have a quarterback without him. So let's say the dynasty is over. Hypothetical. Do you think that's going to be good for the NFL? Yes. If it's over, I think it is good for the NFL. I think the Patriots have actually turned people off from the NFL because what are you, of what are you talking some, about. Listen, that makes listen, no sense. Listen, they're sick of them winning, and that's the way we are, right? People start to to hate the people that succeed and win, so they were fed up with it. And what I mean by stop watching the NFL, what I mean is Patriot games and Super Bowls, because like. I think they're they're kind of sick of it. And think about this. Three teams every year have no shot. The Bills, the Dolphins, the Jets, because they're in the AFC East. You are now, with the Patriots coming back to normal, those three teams have those fans back on the bandwagon. And then, finally, what has made the NFL great, better than any of the other leagues in America, sports leagues, is the parity. And so by the Patriots coming back down to earth, if I, it is over— 100 percent disagree you know what makes sports great unbeatable villains the people love not the, the nfl not the nfl they do. Though. I, not I'm the a, nfl i'm a dolphins fan i gotta watch them kick our ass every year twice a year and watch them go win the super bowl i love it because but you love but you love football witness, no matter what you're witnessing greatness but you love football no matter what you think it's fun for the dolphins to have to give away free tickets to avoid the blackout in the in the but south florida what? area the, Dol- the dolphins having to give away free tickets is not because the patriots are winning every game it's because yes it is a, it's, we suck as an organization it's that's because not, it has but nothing it doesn't to do with the patriots winning but we're that's not ma- two, we're not making good decisions you're in-house. losing you're losing two games every year to the patriots and you're out of the division well, by week technically 8 we were not we usually split with them so that's probably why it doesn't really Okay, good point me. there. Because every time they come to Miami, we beat them. So, I disagree. I think, in my opinion, I feel like sports is always exciting when there's a, a dominant dynasty with other teams that are chasing them that are just that are like just on the cusp of being as talented as that team. But they just don't have that, that one factor that would make them as dominant. And it's the Warriors, like the Bulls when Jordan was there, like – that's what people are going to remember about the NFL. It's the same thing like when Montana played with the 49ers. Like, they're going to remember, oh, that era was so dominant because we saw something so great. So I think if the Patriots dynasty is done, I think the NFL is going to – it's not going to struggle, but I don't think it's a good thing for the league. Well, well, see, that's the difference. You talk about the 80s, 49ers, the 70s, my Steelers. But you know what people think about the Patriots, the ones that hate the Patriots? They cheated. Oh, the tuck rule. Oh, oh Seattle, yeah. I mean, Seattle I mean, but, but should have run Marshawn Lynch. Can't help that though. But that's what I'm saying. Why people don't like this team, and they don't mind them leaving. As far as the dynasty being over, if it is over, they don't like the Patriots because they've been kicking everybody's ass for 20 years with no talent, and nobody else can figure out how they do that. And that's why a lot of fans that are borderline will now come back even more so as a fan because now their team has a chance. Eh, who needs them? But you kind of you kind of the NFL, ahead. yeah. You kind you kind of jumped ahead a little bit to uh, another controversial uh, game from last weekend. It was the Saints. How did this happen again? To be honest with you, I feel bad for them. <laughs> three years in a row. Oh my gosh, they're gonna burn down New Orleans. But uh, yeah, the Saints lost to the Vikings, who I said would make the playoffs over the Rams. They lost at home, twenty six to twenty in overtime. Uh, like you said, it was the third straight heartbreaking game, and this one ended in controversy. 
I really didn't think it was a controversy, but of course the Saints fans do. Uh, that last second touchdown to Rudolph uh, was a non-call for offensive pass interference. But underlying fact, everything falls on the coach, and it goes boils down from there. Do you think Sean Payton blew this game against the Vikings? Yes, absolutely. I called it at the time. I think I may have even texted you. No, you, the, definitely, you definitely didn't text me. He, I, I'm way, pretty sure I did. He's, way, probably he's way too busy to text anybody now. He's got endorsement <laughs> deals. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't I don't, talk to his common folk. I don't know where those endorsement deals are. I'd like to know. But you were probably too busy doing something else, not watching the actual game. So the Ooh, Vikings ow. run a play, run a play with 250 left in the game. All right. Instead of the Saints using their last timeout at about 245, 240 to get the ball back and go score a touchdown because they're only down three here, they don't use the timeout. When the Vikings punt, by the time the Saints get the ball back, it's under the two-minute warning now. So now you're left with a minute 50 and one timeout. They never end up using the timeout anyway. So instead, he has to settle for the field goal at the 30-yard line, where if you saved that minute before, you would have had a minute from the 30-yard line. Granted, no timeouts, but you still would have had a minute at the 30-yard line to score a touchdown to win the game. I like my chances at the 30 of the opponent going in with Drew Brees with a minute left. I think they score with Michael Thomas. You don't need to worry about overtime. You don't need to worry about a a pass interference call. So, yes, all on Sean Payton, because remember this. You got to read this book, JT. Gridiron Genius by Michael Lombardi. He says the important things are, at the end, yards and plays, not first downs in time. So Sean Payton, by losing a minute, lost three, four, five plays in that minute, which cost him the game at the end, Sean Payton. Yeah, I agree with you. I think he definitely blew the game. And it was weird and just terrible clock management. And even on that final drive where they tried to spike it and they had the the false start penalty because uh, Kamara moved, and they had a choice of using that final timeout. And they chose not to use it. They got the penalty. They moved back. And it was a 10-second runoff. I, I, I feel like the whole oh, thing, the whole thing was weird. That, that whole great. situation was weird. I was like, When I was watching, I was like, oh, that's easy. Just use the timeout. You're right, right. there. I, what, 21 seconds. He gets one or two more shots into the end zone. And then if he doesn't get it, you bring on Will Lutz. He's probably going to kick it in anyway. You guys go to overtime. But That's felt, a great point. That's a great point because Lutz missed a 43-yarder before that, and so by not taking the the by taking the 10-second runoff and not calling the timeout, like you said, he had to settle for a 49-yarder. And that like, timeout never got used. Exactly. It was weird, but I will I will say this. Obviously, we agree on the clock management issue that they didn't really do a good job, and that's what did him in ultimately. But call me uh, a Monday morning quarterback. But I feel like another mistake that Sean Payton made in this game is you should have just used Taysom Hill and just ran him down their throat. Because it was clear every time he came on the field, they didn't know where he was going. And they and when they did see where he was going, they couldn't stop him. He played better than Kamara. He was their best running back. He played better than Breeze. He was their best quarterback. Him and Michael Thomas were the two best players on the field. I'm sorry. I know Kamara is the man. Breeze is an all-time legend. But you're trying to win this game because if you lose this game, they're going to burn that city down. Taysom Hill is rolling. Get him in the game. And I and for somebody who's such a offensive, innovative genius like Peyton, for him to not pick up on that and just run it down their throat, that's the difference between him and Belichick because Belichick would have saw that, made the adjustment, and were like, you know what, we're going to run Taysom Hill down their throat until they can't stop it. So I do think 
that was another major kind of mistake that he made in the game. But let's go to the thing that they're ultimately going to try to say was the reason they lost the game, which was uh, Kyle Rudolph, the tight end for the Vikings, catching the final touchdown in overtime in the end zone. Questionable because on the replay, it looks like he pushed off. But there didn't seem to be any review by the refs. Do you think that they should have changed the touchdown in overtime due to offensive pass interference, or did the refs get it right? Well, they could have reviewed it if they felt they needed more time to look at it, but I thought the refs got it right. No, they didn't. They should not have overturned it, so that's why I think they got it right. Because if you look at Rudolph, yes, he has an extended hand, and people are like, oh, he's pushing off so much. He didn't really push off that much. The hand was already extended. The defensive guy is also hand-grabbing, arm-grabbing with Kyle Rudolph. So why is there not defensive holding or pass interference thrown? So I thought it was the right call late in the game like that. And, you know, people tend to forget against, again, the Saints. We talk about coaching. Why are you leaving an undersized defensive back out there one-on-one with Kyle Rudolph? You could see what they did. They put three to the right side, Rudolph up top to the left. You knew where it was going. Like, no one wants to blame the Saints' defensive staff. Yeah, I agree. I don't think it was offensive pass interference. If the if Was it Williams? That was the guy that was covering him one-on-one. I, I forget who. Is it the same guy that did the I was uh, Minnesota ask. Miracle? I don't, know. I, don't know. I don't know what number it is, but <laughs> if that was the same Williams that gave up the the big play to Diggs <laughs> that one time, then, like, geez, they, he's not going to be able to walk in New Orleans ever again. But if the Williams, who was covering Rudolph, was smart and he felt like he wasn't going to make the play, he should have just fallen down because that would have got them to look at it because he clearly had the extension, and if he would have fallen, that would have been something to take a look at. But I think I agree with you. I think they got it right. I think – the hand extension wasn't to push. I think it was to keep the distance so he can make the catch. So there's a right, difference. Which, that's allowed, right? He's not interfering with the guy making a defensive play. He's, you know, whole, me, I mean, Michael Irvin you, made that. Like if you're, famous. like if you're, if you're a bigger body guy with like long arms, like I mean, I got long arms. I do that all the time in sports. Like I'll use my yeah. arms not to push, but just to get separation so I, right. so you can you know have enough space to make the play. But yeah, I think they got it right. I agree. I agree. Is that the first time we've agreed in 2020? I don't know if it's an agreement, but we had some <laughs> similar points. <laughs> All right. So that was last weekend's games. Let's talk about this weekend's uh, divisional round. The I want to do a spotlight game here, JT. All right, let's go with a spotlight game. I think the most interesting one – all four of them are interesting, but I think the one – that really is like, who do you go with here is Seattle at Green Bay, Lambeau Field, because they have a history. They have two quarterbacks that have won Super Bowls. Yeah, but the Legion of Boom ain't showing up in this one. That's true. That's true. So, with that said then, first, I want to know, who has the bigger game between Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson? This is tough because I don't know how this game is going to be called. If you look at the stats – it should say that Rodgers is going to have the bigger game between the two because the run defense for the Packers isn't that great, so they should just run beast mode down their throats. But I feel like this will be the game where they try to get Russell Wilson the MVP, even though it's going to go to Lamar Jackson. So they'll try to make it into a, a Rodgers versus Wilson duel. I'm just going to go with Wilson because outside of Lamar Jackson, he's on an MVP tear. He's the second-best quarterback in the league right now. 
And I just trust him over Rodgers. Like, Rodgers hasn't been that guy in two years now. So, playoff game, even though he's at home in Lambeau, I just think they try to hide Rodgers and Wilson just rips him apart. So, I'm going to say Wilson has the bigger game, but it's because, again, he needs the bigger game to win. No running game, even though Travis Homer from the U. I just – that's not going to get it done. They should right? run that, Homer and Marshawn Lynch down their throats. Like, they should I, – I don't I know if they think, can, but, I mean – I don't think they can. That's the thing. I, I think even if they wanted to, it's not going to be efficient. Like, it's not going to be worth it. I'd rather have the ball in Russell Wilson's hand because I don't think the ground game is going to do it. And I think that's why eventually Russell Wilson has the better numbers. I don't know about the bigger game. He's going to have the bigger numbers. But at the end, it's not going to be enough because I think the Packers run away with it in the second half and win by double digits. So who do you think wins that one? Oh, I think it's the Seahawks. You think the Seahawks win? Yeah, I think they go into Lambeau wow. and get it done. Wow. So you're saying my MVP goes into Lambeau and wins. I love it. I love it. Look, at you're finally coming around on Russell Wilson as MVP. No, Lamar Jackson is still the MVP. Like, I've been uh, saying well, this well, since well. September. Listen, I didn't want to have to bring it up, but since you went down that road, RG3 with Gus Edwards beat the Steelers. Do you think Geno Smith and Travis Homer with the same Seattle Seahawks team could beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in Week 17? No way. I don't even. You. I don't even understand the question. Like why? The it's question Who is. Cares? Who cares? The question is. Question is Lamar Jackson is MVP. No, Lamar Jackson has a much better team around him as you know, a whole. You, you know what? You know what? It's 2020. We're gonna stop this right now. Because you're wrong. No, you're you've wrong. Been, ever since you picked the Cleveland Browns to win a division <laughs> and you stuck with has, it. Has nothing been, to do been, with you've it. You've been trying to discredit what Baltimore has done by all of a sudden they have all this amazing surrounding things going has on. Has nothing. You, you they know, got, I'm, I'm going to call you I'm gonna call you Dom Polian. That's what I'm going to call you. You sound like a hater. I am not. I am not. I'm just stating Bill the facts. Bill Bucci, calm down. So what other key storylines should the fans uh, keep an eye out? for in the Green Bay Seattle game. Um I think I think it's just a major one as far as the two quarterbacks going at it, but I want to say the underlying storyline, you know, separate from that is like we've been talking about can Seattle run the ball because if they can run the ball on the Packers defense which a lot of people have been able to do, I think that it's really going to be a different type of game than what people are expecting. I think there's a possibility this could be an ugly slugfest and these two teams try to get it done with the running games when everybody's expecting these quarterbacks to just go off for like 400 yards and three touchdowns apiece. So I think if one of those teams can get the running game going, I think that team's going to have the better advantage. So I kind of, I kind of agree with that. It always starts up front. We know that I've always said that. So instead of Seattle running, I look at it the other way. It's the Seahawks run defense against the Packers running game because the Seahawks were 22nd in rush defense this year, giving up a little over 117 yards per game. So if the Packers can establish the run, it's going to be a long day for the Seahawks. Not even Russell Wilson is going to be able to save them because Richard Sherman ain't coming through that door. Earl Thomas is not coming through that door, and Cam Chancellor is not coming through that but door. But Davion Clowney is coming through that door. But it doesn't matter do. because, again, their defense – All he has defense, to do is just hit Rodgers, knock no, him out of the game, and then it'll be a different game. But he's not going to be able to because the Seattle defense ranked 26th in total defense. Over oh, the defense 300. is not good. Like we said, exactly. the not coming back. And, but – and Clowney's not going to be able to get the Rodgers. They're probably going to double-team him. If Aaron Rodgers, if they can establish the run with Aaron Jones, I'm sorry, with Aaron Jones establishing the run, 
then Rodgers can go play action and pick them apart with Devontae Adams. So I think that. that's the storyline. Why couldn't they do that like 10 weeks ago? Because <laughs> they knew you had them on their fantasy team. So you've got Seattle. I've got Green Bay. I hate going against Russell Wilson. But let's look at the other games real quick. Vikings at 49ers. Who you got? 49ers. Kirk Cousins can't do this again. Well, I've got the 49ers, but word is that uh, Adam Thielen injured his ankle at practice on Wednesday, and Diggs may not be 100% either. He's never 100%. All right, so 49ers, book it. I'm still a Cousins fan. Titans at Ravens, I know who you got. Yeah, because I have faith in my MVP pick. It's the Ravens. It's because he has a better team. You just proved it again. He's a good player. I've got the Titans. I've got the Titans. Big disappointment by the Ravens. Texans at Chiefs. I'm actually going to pick the Texans in this one. I think this, is, I think this is the game that proves that Andy Reid's playoff struggles are because of Andy Reid. He's going to find some way to mess this up, and I don't know how, it is. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I just feel like Deshaun Watson's out to prove something this year, especially playing against Mahomes. Uh, I think it's the Chiefs. I think they win easily at home by at least two touchdowns, maybe by 20 points. Listen to Vegas. <laughs> so – JT, a little segment I threw in here. About that's, head- because that's what you always do. You just make up stuff on the fly. Don't tell anybody and be like, oh, by the way, we're going to do this right live on the air. If you didn't skip the production meetings, oh, you would it, know about oh, it. it wasn't in the notes. Trust me. The, the so rest for, of this. So for anybody that's listening out there, anytime you hear about a new segment, it's truly a surprise. He does not run it by you at all. So um, I, guess I, run that, it, I guess that's why I guess that's why you are the executive producer because – all decisions are final through you. You don't have to consult with anybody. But, you know, let, let's try your mystery uh, segment. Let's see how it goes. No, we're co-producers. That's what it says on the business cards. All right. He's using that, that co-word very vaguely. So the new segment here is due to the head coaching um, carousel of the NFL. So your reactions on it, JT. I'm going to give you a name with the team. That has been the coach that's been hired. I want you to tell me if you love it, like it, or trash it. All right, meaning the coach. Oh, I can't. I can't say I love or like trash the team. <laughs> no, 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 no. Trash the hire. Like okay. get rid of it. It's garbage. All right. First one. Ron Rivera hired by the Washington Redskins. This is such a boring hire, but I like it. <laughs> I like it just because I feel like Rivera has always been a good leader. Uh, he's like one of those tough-minded old-school guys, and Everywhere he's worked, people seem to really like him in the building. But I, I, I like it also, too, because I think he's bringing on Jack Del Rio as a defensive coordinator. They're, he's bringing him on, too. So if Dan Snyder gets out of the way, the team that they have already in Washington, it's young. It's a, it's a team that they can mold into a tough like mentality. They can create that, uh, a different culture in Washington if he lets those two come in there and do what they got to do. Yeah, I like it as well. Um I said it's a safe pick, right? Like, it's a safe hire. Um, it's boring as hell. I, <laughs> but safe, right? It's safe. You know what you're going to get with them. I think it falls on how they manage and develop Haskins. Now, there's already word that he's not naming Haskins the franchise QB because he wants them to compete for it, which no, is a smart they're, they're move. They're going to trade him like Josh Rosen <laughs> in next year's draft, like a third-round pick, and be like, we're done with this. And besides the Del Rio hire, he is bringing on a lot of his Carolina assistants. Could be good, could be bad. I'm is not he bringing sure. on the uh, North Turner son too? 
Yes, Scott Turner will be so offensive that's not coordinator. Bad. Their, their offense was not that bad this year. It's, they played with Kyle Allen. They still put up numbers. Yeah. I But you got Kish, Christian McCaffrey compared to who, though? Come on. that That is a huge difference. Your boy, Darius. Gosh, you love him. <laughs> He's always hurt, though. That's the problem. Anyway, um, I think Rivera makes them respectable, but they're going to need another coach to get them over the hump to they're, the Super Bowl. They're in the NFC East. He could be the side factor of them getting into a wild card game. <laughs> Just saying. Next one, Mike McCarthy hired by the Dallas Cowboys. I hate this. <laughs> I hate That's this. That's not the segment. Use the word. Oh, trash. Trash, hate, burn, discontinue, whatever you want to say. This is trash, right? Yes, trash. Yes. Yeah, trash this, trash the Cowboys, trash Jerry Jones, trash Mike McCarthy. I hate this. To me, this just proves that Jerry Jones isn't ready to get the hell out of the way. Like, he still wants to run the team. And this also shows me that they're all out on Dak as their starting quarterback and their franchise quarterback. Because why would, first of all, if Jerry Jones was going to get out of the way, why would you hire a guy in Mike McCarthy, who I feel like he seems like he's just going to let Jerry kind of be the voice and he's not going to really challenge him and not really demand full control. And then why would you hire McCarthy for Dak Prescott when Aaron Rodgers, who is considered this great all-time quarterback, didn't even want him in Green Bay. Got him run out of town and said he had boring, predictable, old-school play calling. Like, how is this going to progress the Cowboys forward? Like, I don't understand that. And you look at McCarthy's record. Like, yeah, he has wins, but he had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. You got one Super Bowl. Also, too, the guy let Taysom Hill go. He's in New Orleans looking like he's going to get a starting contract somewhere. And ahead of that draft with Aaron Rodgers, you also said Alex Smith was by far the best player in that draft. So that just shows me. I hope he's not the person evaluating talent and making those decisions in Dallas because clearly he hasn't been good at that either. So I just trashed this all the way around. This just seems like Jerry's going to get an extra few years to do whatever he wants to do with his team. Well, all those things you said about the players that you mentioned, Taysom Hill and uh, whoever else you mentioned in there, Aaron Rodgers, you know, Alex Smith over Aaron Rodgers. He wasn't the only one, JT. He was not the only coach, the only NFL executive that said that stuff. So you can't blame him and him only for that. Now, at first I was going to say trash it. But then I read, did some research, which oh, I oh, recommend he, that you do. He's going to bring on his little like analytical ocean yep. stuff. Like, I don't yes. care about that. This is a guy that could have easily have been an old dog. I don't want to learn new tricks, right? He was. He I was. think he reinvented himself over the year that he was off. So I like it. I don't love the hire. I, I do like it because he spent his year off from football, basically, according to Peter King of NBC Sports and Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, he spent his day studying football in a refurbished barn in Green Bay with other coaches who were not actively working. So, 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 they, so a bunch of unemployed guys got together and had an AA meeting. N- not necessarily. They reviewed modern trends. They looked at QB footage. They implemented analytics. And he even designed his own 14-person uh, football technology staff. And, like, you can laugh about all this, but the fact that this guy – really hard and, about it. And that's fine because the fact that this guy's willing to change with the times, knowing the stuff he did in Green Bay didn't always work, shows me that he's willing to be a leader – to evolve, adapt, and maybe with a lot more talent on these teams than he had in Green Bay besides Aaron Rodgers, he might be good enough 
to get them to where Jerry Jones wants to go. Just Dude. saying. So when he was meeting with that group of just brilliant analytical geniuses, did they all go get massages after that? Good question. I don't know. You want to ask him? Yeah, you should ask him. Bring him on the show. He's in, he's Bring, in Dallas now. They'll, it'll be a better, uh, a better facility so he can get better massages after the meetings. Bring him on the show. If you can do your job for once, bring him on the show. You, we'll ask you, him on the show. You know this. Hold on, before we move on to the next one, you know this is like, this is just, it's the same hire. He's Jason Garrett, just more intimidating. He's just more, he looks more intimidating. And like, I like how you were bringing up the point about, oh, he's got this whole, this whole analytical staff and now he's really understanding the game. Ask the Cleveland Browns, just because you bring on somebody who is analytical, like a Paul DePodesta or Sashi Brown, it don't mean anything. It doesn't mean analytics doesn't translate to 11 wins. Like, I hate people bring that but up. It's important, I, but it doesn't mean I agree. anything. Like, Mike McCarthy is still Mike McCarthy. Until he proves I, that he can go out there and call play calls that work in this NFL, I'm trashing it. I agree, but when the coach brings it on himself and is willing to do it, that's the difference. And I'll go out on a limb and say I think he can change. You're 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 saying he won't. I'm saying it looks like he's doing the right thing. So you know what? For now, I like it. That's all. Matt Rule in the Carolina Panthers. Don't give me your your uh, your eye roll. The world is eye rolling. Go ahead, run me the stats. How much is he getting paid? Well, they say it's a seven. Uh, I'm sorry. What a, a seven-year deal worth sixty million, but it can be worth up to seventy, I believe. So basically, he got the John Gruden treatment, and he's never coached in NFL. Okay, so what's that matter? Uh, okay, so here's the thing: Can I trash something and like it at the same time? Is that possible? Sure. Here's I'm gonna tell you what I like about it because I don't love I don't love anything about this move. I like it because. I'm trusting. I'm trusting your opinion. I didn't see it, but I've heard before he because he had his uh his press conference today, right? His introductory press conference on Wednesday. Yes. Yeah, on Wednesday today, Wednesday, January eighth. I didn't. I haven't watched the press conference yet, but I've just been reading little things that he's been saying, like leading up to this press conference. And from the from the standpoint of what he says he wants to do. And what he first of all, what he did at Baylor, nobody could take away from him. He what, what they lost eleven games the season before. They came and almost made the college football playoff this year, and it was basically the same team. So he clearly knows how to coach. He turned that he turned that program around when it was almost left for dead. And I think all the things that I've been hearing him say about you know he wants to have a run first mentality. I think that mentality, if you want to come in and be hard nosed like that, especially with a team that's constructed the way the Panthers are, I think that's good, and it's the fastest way to be relevant and be good again because you got Christian McCaffrey. I think this works out well for Cam. If you want to be a run-dominant team, their defense is already good. I think basically it sets him up to come in and say, look, we already got the pieces. We just need to focus on the offensive defensive line. I think that's the easiest place to fix on a football team. So I like what he's saying. What I say trash it is, dude, he's already showing some – Lane Kiffin-ish type, type of tendencies. So I heard a story about the Panthers offered him this deal. He didn't accept it because he got on the phone and told the Giants, look, this is what the Panthers are offering me, this record-breaking deal. Do you guys want to match it? Are you serious? They gave you a seven-year deal worth, what, like $60, $70 million as a first-time head coach? Have some respect for the league. Take that deal. If you're not going to take the deal, move on. Don't try to 
you know, like have a bidding war. Like you're not, you're, you haven't proven anything yet. I hate that. I think that sends a, I think that's bad optics. That sends a bad look. And trust me, it, the players in this locker room will remember that. And I think other teams will remember that whenever they play against them. And it sets, it's, it's kind of setting him up for failure because he better hope that he gets control of this team early on. They have success. If not, they're going to resent him in that locker room. He's already getting paid more than most of the players, and he has no NFL experience. This has Bobby Petrino in Atlanta written all over it if he doesn't get it together right away. And I'll, I'll move on after this. I just want to say this just shows that the Rooney rule is a joke. Like, how is Eric Bieniemy, the offensive coordinator for the Kansas City Chiefs, not the favorite for any of these jobs? Like, I don't get it. Now, if you come out and tell me that they offered him – and he turned it down to return as an OC, like a Josh McDaniels does in New England. I'm off that. But Bienemy has been the hottest guy for any coaching search for the past three years now. How is he just not the automatic walk it up to the podium favorite? Teams are talking about, yeah, we're going to wrap this up in two days. The Browns are saying we're going to have our coach selected by Friday. Bienemy is not in any of these conversations, and I think that's a big, big problem. They need to really take a look at what's going on with the Rooney Rule. And that's why I say trash this hire because the optics just look terrible all the way around. Well, first with Eric Bieniemy, I totally agree with you that he sh- he should be getting a he lot should, of looks. If and er, if Eric B if Eric Bieniemy was Urban Meyer, like people would be he would get a John Gruden yeah. contract. Like if he was John McDaniel or if Josh he was McDaniels. Josh McDaniel, he'd be hired last two years ago exactly. last year. I agree. I, I totally agree that Eric Bieniemy, I think, is getting the, the short end of the stick, and I don't know why. I, I mean, you know, we can kind of speculate can about you, things. On, but can you, imagine, can you imagine if Matt Rule were the offensive play caller under Andy Reid for the KC Chiefs for the past three years, how much more money they would have offered him? I don't know if they would have offered him more money, but – They would have had to because there would have been a bidding war for him. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Um, so that's the Eric B enemy. I totally agree with you there. What I don't agree with you, and then I'll get to my actual point, is the whole optics part as far as him calling the Giants. Because you remember what Bill Belichick did. He didn't let anyone in the Jets organization know what he was going to say at the press conference. They have a press conference in the name him coach, and he steps down because he had Robert Kraft and the Patriots in his back pocket well, well, making him head coach. Well, here's the thing with that. I'm not going to dispute with you on that, but here's the thing. Bill Belichick lived up to the hype, and everybody's forgotten about that. You're literally the and, only person talking about it. And, and, that's, I, and that's my fine. point. If Matt Rule doesn't come in to Carolina and get it together right away, that's, that's going to be the type of thing that people remember, and they're going to – he's losing. No. They're going to hold that against him. Watch. They won't. They won't remember that part. They'll remember that he was not a successful NFL coach. I, I, you know, I wish somewhere if D'Angelo, if D'Angelo Hall, somehow, if you get a hold of this episode and you're listening, first of all, leave us a five star review. Second of all, he would be the first person to tell you how NFL players feel about coaches. One coming from college, okay. When they don't, so explain when they, when, they, when they don't pan out right away. They don't fit into the culture, and when they're making more than the NFL players who are actually so balling explain, with no experience. Explain the Belichick situation. They gave up a first-round pick. You know they gave him a boatload of money. I'm not and saying. And you can't sit there and tell me the players were like, how can we play for this I'm guy? Not saying, I'm he not just, saying they were. He backstabbed the Jets. I'm not saying they weren't like that. But guess what? Nobody talks about that because Bill Belichick got it done. I'm not saying Matt Rule might won't work. I'm saying if he doesn't work, 
this is what's going to get him run out of the league. The fact that he did the thing with the Giants. He is making more money than That's, most coaches listen, and most players. The players nowadays understand it's a business even for the coaches. You like the players, the players understand that. And they do the same thing. Why do you think they want to go to free agency? Why do you think Brady's doing this? They have favored him so much, and they have built championships around him. But, yes, he was a big part of it. But the way Belichick did it, I mean, yeah, he took a pay cut. But at the same time, they got rid of Garoppolo, their future form. So, But, anyway, I love the move. I actually may become a Panthers fan along with a Steelers fan after the press conference well, because the Steelers of course you're going nowhere, so I mean, oh. you might as well. <laughs> wow, of course you didn't watch the press conference, but he was inspiring, and I do think the players will like him. Oh yeah, I think he, had they, one of, he had one of those Denzel Coach Boone speeches where you just yep. wanted to run through the wall for him. Yep, and I wanted to I wanted to play for them if I was good enough. Yeah, until and Luke Keekley smacks you the first time in practice, <laughs> and you go right back to the analytics department. <laughs> I would still do it for Matt Rule. Let him hit me again. Um, but <laughs> he said the team's going to be tough, hardworking, and competitive. And listen, I I'm buying in. I'm buying in. He said all the right things. Yes, you don't win the press con- you don't win at the press conference, but I do believe they got something special here. Last hire for right now, Joe Judge and the New York Giants. JT go. First of all, why are you giving me that look? Because you know this is a joke. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. Going back to what I said in the previous the previous argument about rule, this just proves the Rooney rule is a joke and it does not work. How the hell is Eric Bieniemy not the favorite to get this job? So let me get this straight. You went and hired the receivers coach on a team that has no receivers. So I don't well, get he, that. He was more the special teams coach the last six years, though. And that right there is why – that's wild to me. Like, a special teams coach getting – And he's under Belichick. A head coaching position. Yeah, but you know how those Belichick – disciples don't necessarily work out they got kind of like a bad stigma in the league right now so i i'm just like i don't understand how this guy went from special teams coach to head coach in new york like that's a major market like this dude better had have had the best interview of all time because you're going into a giants team that sucks you're in the biggest most unforgiving media market in the world in new york like i, I wouldn't send anybody there that wasn't ready to go there but i here's the thing I went back, did some research. The Patriots, their special teams was actually probably their biggest strength this year. Like, they had a really good special teams as far as, like, starting field position, block punts. Like, they were an elite all-time special teams unit this year. So, at least the guy did his job right. And I had to go, I had to go, you know, on TV just to hear, like, what people were saying about it to see if it could change my mind because I wanted to trash this. So, listening to some of, peop- some of the people that have been in the NFL in the coaching circles – I brought this to a like, and I'm going to tell you why. One thing I've consistently heard is whoever is the person who's the special teams coach has the hardest job on the team because you have to convince – first of all, you talk in front of the whole entire team so everybody sees you, offense and defense, and your whole job is to convince guys to go all out and play 100% in something they absolutely do not want to do. So for you to do that and have a top unit – it says something to your leadership and the fact that you know how to motivate guys. So at least for Joe Judge, I feel like he's at least got that going for him. But I can only like it with that like asterisk next to it. But otherwise, this is a 
a head scratching, terrible hire. I hope it works out for him because he might never coach again in the league. <laughs> I'm gonna say trash it. I'm not sold. It, I I feel this way. If he was not on the Patriots staff, no way he gets hired. He doesn't even get looked at. Well, hey, it could be worse. Um, you could hire a high school defensive backs coach and take him straight to the pros. Could be worse. Thank you, Dolphin. <laughs> but he he does have, from all accounts, uh, meaning Joe Judge, a great attention to detail. But his receivers did not improve. Philip Dorsett, did he improve? They didn't I don't have know. any receivers. That's what I'm saying. Like, but I, I, Philip Dorsett, he never improved. Like, I don't think he's improved. And he's from the U. We love Philip Dorsett. But, like, what did Joe Judge do to help Philip Dorsett? Brady I probably mean, helped there's, Dorsett there's not more. not much you can do to help Philip Dorsett. <laughs> oh, come on. But I just don't think he's ready. Plain and simple, I don't think he's ready. But, listen, sometimes those are the hires that end up working. But, listen, their track record's not been good. McAdoo, Shermer, but, I, I don't, I don't but, like but, this I, one But either. I will say this, and I know this. If he's a bust, he's a bust. It won't matter. I feel like, yes, he is a special teams uh, coach at heart. And I feel like I've heard this, too. Like, the Patriots made him a, a position coach so that he can qualify to get one of these jobs. Remember, they did the same thing. Philadelphia did the same thing with your boy uh, Hallbar. And look how that turned out for Baltimore. Like, they made him a DB's coach. And that kind of, like, propelled him. And, like, he's a good coach. So, I yeah. feel like if yeah. if if you're a good coach and it's in you, the opportunity – It'll, it'll, it'll show itself over time. So, to me, I think Judge Loki could end up being the best one out of all of these just because he does pay attention to detail, like you said, and he might be that outside-the-box hire that the Giants need, and he's got a young group of guys that might be willing to listen to somebody who's ready to take control of the reins. Yeah, and the Steelers have a little bit of experience with this. Speaking of coaches, Bill Cowher was the special teams coordinator and linebackers coach with the Kansas City Chiefs when we hired him away from Marty Schottenheimer. And that did turn out pretty good because, like you said, he was able to rally the troops, get the most out of everyone's talent. Um, so we'll see. That's what I'm saying. Like, sometimes those hires do work out. Like, I, I like want, That's why I say I wanted to trash it, but <laughs> I'm listening to people who know more than me, so I got to say like so that I can hedge my bets a little bit. I'm going to say trash it. So on a more somber note, uh, former NBA commissioner David Stern passed away on New Year's Day at the age of 77. He was the fourth commissioner in NBA history and was in office uh, from 1984 to 2014. So, JT, it brings up the question – how will you remember David Stern and his impact on the NBA? Man, he ruled a long time, man. And, you know, uh, it's really sad to hear about him passing. He, had, you, you, When you go back and look at all the things that changed in the NBA while he was commissioner, I know some of it is probably just because, you know, from 84 to 2014, a lot of things changed in life. But, yeah, yeah. so, I mean, some things were probably inevitable. But What I year mean, were you born? What year were you born? Not as not as old as you. Um, <laughs> that wasn't the question. Don't make me feel bad. I was just gonna say like he started even before you were born. So but yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know I'm a '90s baby, right? But no, um, yeah. I mean, shoot, that's that's a that's a bunch of decades. But just I just want to go through like some of the things that stood out to me like while he was commissioner that happened in the NBA. So first of all, like overall, like he took the NBA from like people don't remember the NBA was not a big league at all. Like it wasn't even popular. And he took it to just 
a worldwide juggernaut that it is now, and it's a truly global game because of some of the things that he's done. Like, remember, he brought the salary cap to the NBA. He, he started the draft lottery. He brought the NBA to NBC in 1990. Like, that's what – when people think of the NBA, they think about the NBA NBC. Like, he started that. And then you take it a step further, he created – he was responsible for creating the Dream Team because you remember prior to 92 – NBA players weren't allowed to compete in the Olympics. And just look how that's just grown the the brands globally by having NBA players, you know, not only compete in the Olympics, but having exhibition and regular season games in foreign countries. Like he started that. And I think that's worked wonders for the league. And then you go to little things like how he eliminated hand checking, I believe like 2004, 2005, like that totally changed the way the game is played. Now, like, you know, every team's averaging a hundred points because of that. So that that's what I remember most about it. And I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to say this. A lot of people probably won't think about it this way. But like for me, this is what I because I know people also will think about some things that they disagree with him on, like the whole um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The whole dress code thing. Like I knew that was a big issue when he kind of pushed that through and people really, really uh, were into that. But. I want to say, like, to me personally, one of the biggest the biggest accomplishment that he that he made was can you will you agree with me on this? That out of all the major sports leagues across the world, like, would you say the NBA is probably the one league that like it's pretty much perceived as like that's a that's a black league, like from like even though like there's white owners, but like like the from the coaching staffs to the front offices to the players, like the face of the NBA is like it's a black league, like on a global perspective. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I I guess you could say that. Like for for him to take that from a league that was like not even on live television, like it was like basically on tape delay, for him to take that and to make it global, like to me is like like an incredible accomplishment. And like he basically made it global, made it popular with that as the face, while increasing the revenue for the guys that are playing the game to like the level basically of baseball players. And to me, like, I feel like that's, like, just, just such a, like, a great feat that he did. And I think when he in, when he instituted that that whole dress code thing, I think that was a tr- strategic strategy by him to say, look, we're, we're getting global. We have, to, we have to make you guys more presentable to everybody else, and this is the way to do it. You guys, you guys can change the way you dress when we're, when we're in front of everybody on the camera. And unknowingly what he did was – now everybody in the NBA is like a fashion expert. They come in with these crazy outfits, and that's like increased their popularity and visibility even more. On top of being like these amazing athletes, so I feel like he's done a lot over his time as commissioner, and like some of it will still continue to his his things that he's done will still continue to affect the league even after he's gone. Yeah, think about it. You you hinted upon it at one point. The NBA Finals were shown on tape delay. Like, that's crazy. People don't remember that. That's crazy. That That is crazy. Like, unbelievable. Um, And he was a big part of the reason why it ended up going live. Basically, to sum it up, the easiest way I can put it for football fans, he was the Pete Rozelle of the NBA. You know, Pete Rozelle with the the, the merger, the Super Bowl. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you on that. So, like, David Stern, a forward thinker that basically made – the NBA global, and that is why it is huge for the NBA because it is a global sport, and it's a global league, which is different than MLB, different than NFL, 
even the NHL because the NHL has competition with you know some of the the KHL in Russia. But when it's the NBA, guys want to come to the NBA because that's when they know they really made it in basketball. So he saved the league along with Magic Bird or along with Magic and Bird. Um, even though they got there a little bit before him, but he helped continue to save it and grow it. Marketing genius. Um, some of the things besides what you said, he'll be known as the commissioner who really first promoted the league's superstars. And now it seems commonplace, right? Like, hey, you put the face of the athlete of the superstars out to the public. That was not being done before in any league. And so he was the one that took the superstar status, put it in front of the public as a marketing ploy, and it, it worked. And now we take it for granted. Um, and then the other thing is how he ended up making it global, like you mentioned, the dream team. Because he had that vision of, th- you know, what now, 30 years ago that, hey, we can maybe someday have an NBA Europe. Yeah. And, like, he thought about that. And I think that was part of the reason why he put the NBA professional players in the Olympics. So those are all the things you think of just marketing genius and really the the Pete Rosell of it. And one last thing, he was a big part of the WNBA and why it started and it exists. And you can't forget about that part of it too. He just loved basketball that much. No, I think we both agree. He did a lot of really good things for the league. And like like we both said, there's things that he, you know, put into effect even in the early 90s that they're still benefiting from right now. So uh, hats off to him. Uh, Let's switch gears and go to college football. So I actually want to talk about this story because I feel like it flew under the radar a little bit. So uh, recently, former Maryland head coach DJ Durkin uh, was hired by Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss as just an assistant coach, but it's kind of receiving some backlash because Durkin was also the head coach at the time that former Maryland player Jordan McNair died after being hospitalized for a heat stroke just as soon as May in 2018. Uh, he passed out during an offseason workout and uh, died at the hospital. So, obviously, the question comes up, you know, should Durkin be allowed a second chance as a coach? Do you think that him being hired as an assistant coach at Old Miss is a right move or is a wrong move? Well, I don't like saying that like someone should or should not get a job in sports. Like I know we talk about it a lot because um you know, it's our job and we discuss sports, right? Like we're part of the media even part of the media even though you don't want to admit that. But and I don't know the guy, so I'm sure he's apologetic and feels guilty for what happened or at least you would think so. But while he's not guilty, like in the eyes of the law, like he's never had any charges or anything against him. And you know me, like, and I think you're the same way. Like we believe in second chances in sports, but with this, like some instances, I don't think are worth a second chance. Well, at least not this soon. Okay. If you want to go that far, that's that's a good point. But think of it this way: I think that's I think like, that's, that would be the, that would be the issue that I had is, like I said, it happened in just May 2018, and I know, like they had a lawsuit against Durkin, and then you had, you know, not not just players from Maryland, but players that where he was the defensive coordinator previously in other schools coming out and just saying, you know, how extreme he was. Like you had guys in the NFL saying like, you know, Durkin was you know kind of over the line a bunch of times, like he was really crazy. And you saw some of the stuff that. 
he was doing at Maryland with the players, and you know they were kind of likening it to torture, like mental torture. So he's definitely, I feel like he's definitely got a like a screw loose, and like this whole death thing was was terrible. And like you you put that in combination with you know his reputation. I believe in second chances. I just think this is way too soon for him to be getting a high profile job. Like guys like Art Bryles aren't even coaching yet. He's in high school. Yeah, I mean it is as an assistant coach, so it's not the head coach, but still, you're allowing this guy less than, you know, a year, year and a half, however long it's been since he was actually let go by Maryland, that you're putting him in the trust, a position of trust with young men. And so parents like parents that have sent their kids to Ole Miss did not know that this was going to be one of their kids' coaches. So that's a little bit concerning if you're a parent. And that's why, like, that uh, seems like I, such a Lane Kiffin move. Like, hey, you know, look over here, come here. Like, never mind. I'll just, like, make the decisions that I want to make. Yeah. Like, and not tell like, you. But yeah, I, I mean, mean but right. that's what happens when you hire a coach in college. Like, they are going to have a lot more power in a than a coach in the NFL if that coach is under a general manager, right? Like, the the coach in college is the general manager basically as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, too, like you made a good point about, you know, parents trusting their their sons to go play for this guy. And I think another reason that people are kind of up in arms about this is, like, people feel like the investigation at Maryland was basically a joke and he got off scot-free when they felt like he should have really, really, really received some sort of harsh punishment for, you know, what happened to McNair? It it felt like the president of Maryland took more responsibility and blame for, for what happened yeah. than the actual head coach. Even though a lot of it they said fell on the trainer, and did, how much did the coach really know? Uh, again, you're the head coach. Because wasn't it wasn't it him? Wasn't it Durkin and like a strength and conditioning coach? Like they were like the two one two main people yes. who were like yeah players at Maryland were like all right these guys are taking it way too far. I, I want to transfer. Like this is crazy. And, those are what the re- the reports were. Again, if we're going to trust reports, that that is one thing. But when something like this, you know, happens and the response to it was terrible, they said it took like sixty seven minutes to call an ambulance. Like, I mean, as a, I don't know, like it, it's he should, tough. He, sh- For, he should be closer to jail than being a coach at Ole Miss. That's just my opinion. It, I mean, yeah, we'd have to find out legally. Like, obviously, the report has a lot of stuff in it. I, I, It's just such a tough question that I think of more of the young kids that are in that program and the parents that sent them to Ole Miss two years ago when, you know, Kiffin was not their coach and neither was Durkin an assistant. Like, how do you feel if you're that parent now? Like, uh-oh. Like, do I need to worry about my kid? Like, that's the way I look at it. I – I think you're right. Maybe it's too soon. May maybe that's the answer. And also too, before we move on, I just want to know, as an athletic director, like what kind of interview did DJ Durkin give you to say, you know what, you the guy that they, you you, they, you, you, the, you the guy that almost ruined Maryland's program. I feel like yeah. you'll fit right in with us, even though we're on our own punishment from the NCAA. Like it just didn't, said, it didn't make any sense to me to hire you him. You know, they they said they vetted the process, um, or they you know. They did their their background and they vetted the process and uh, they you know they got a lot of good uh, words from other coaches and people that knew him and and so the athletic director was fine with it. Yeah. All right. We'll see. We'll see how this goes, but I'm not too optimistic. 
I think he'll be a repeat offender and just not be doing things that he's supposed to do. So let's stick with college football. Let's go to the Canes. Finally, some good news. So uh, first of all, we did what we sa- what we suggested the Canes do on our college football preview show and recap show, and that was fire offensive coordinator Dan Enos. Props for that. But in doing man, we never you know we always say like oh we don't like talking about people getting fired or firing coaches because you know they have families and this is their profession. But no, man, we him. talk. I don't feel that way. Like duh. <laughs> I, you feel that he definitely feels that way. He feels like everybody, you know, should never be fired. If you suck, I think you should be let go. But we went and made a, a big time hire. We got a new offensive coordinator, uh, Rhett Lashley from uh, SMU. Now, what are your just overall thoughts of going out and getting somebody from a explosive offense like SMU? Do you think this will work? Did we make the right move? I love the hire. Right, I, I love it. still be friends. <laughs> Listen, SMU was second in the AAC in scoring 41 points per game. They ranked second in total offense in the conference, 489.8 yards per game. All right. When he went to the Auburn Tigers in 2013, that was his first year as like an off- offensive assistant, or he may have been the OC, but Malzahn was calling the plays. They scored 39.5 points a game. They went to the title game. They were averaging over 500 yards per game. He runs a spread offense, which is up-tempo. Miami has never had this. And this is where maybe I'm most excited. He likes, even in a spread offense, up-tempo, he likes to use the tight end. Oh, Brevin's going to kill him this. Your, your boy, Brevin Jordan. So, at SMU, the tight end was uh Kylan Granson, who ended up with 43 receptions. Doesn't sound like a lot, but think about it. This is a tight end now in an up-tempo offense. 43 catches, uh, a little over 720 yards, and nine touchdowns. So I like it. I hope he can fix the quarterback room, which there's already some uh, whispers about transfers coming in, possibly the Wake Forest or the Texas Tech quarterback. Okay. You already know that I agree that I love this. And it's so funny that we were talking about uh, teams that, you know, surprised us on the college football recap show. And my team that surprised me was SMU. And I was naming off all their all their stats, all their uh, all their offensive numbers. And little did I know we were going to get their offensive coordinator. So, like, of course, I'm excited. I think exactly what you said, like, it's going to be a spread offense. It's going to open up the offense. He's going to feature our best player in Brevin Jordan, the tight end. Um, I think this will help the quarterbacks because they they won't have to think as much and they'll they'll be able to get the ball faster into the hands of our good athletes. Also, too, I think you already kind of alluded to it. Players want to come for offenses that put up points. And if people think he's going to put up points, guys are going to want to come here. Guys who already transfer here that are thinking about leaving, they might want to stay a little bit longer. And I think I think this is a great move because this will finally get Tate Martell on the field and we'll finally get to see him play. I think this is a move they made for him. The system will fit him. I think we'll get to see what he's got and I think it'll 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 be a good deal all the way around. Only thing I'm going to put pause on and it's the same thing that I said last year uh when we hired Dan Enos and you asked me was this a good hire? Maybe you can answer this question for me. I'm all for us getting a new offensive coordinator. But is was he the guy actually calling the offensive plays at SMU? 
as far as the reports are, yes. And now, this is the thing. A lot of people are like, oh, he had play calling duties revoked. And No, what happened at Auburn was Gus Monzon originally started calling the plays. Eventually, he relinquished those duties to Rhett Lashley. Was this the Cam and, Newton season? Um, No, this was the Nick Marshall season. I think Mazan was still doing the Nick Marshall season, but then after that, 2015-2016, it went to Rhett Lashley. So, But then Lashley improved the offense at UConn, and he improved the offense at SMU, and from all accounts, he was calling the plays at SMU. Those were all on him. If that's true, if he's the play caller at SMU, I, I couldn't – I can't tell you how excited I am because Manny made this this hire to save his job, and now he can go back and focus with uh, with uh on the defense, which he's – that's what he's known for. Right. And we got a guy like Lashley in there calling the plays on yep. offense. I think this is a I, great move. I just hope Revan Jordan is patient enough and does not transfer this offense. I think season. he's already excited. Like I've seen I hope. I've seen it on social media. I think everybody's excited about this hire. I mean, I'm surprised he hasn't transferred yet. So <laughs> Hey, if if you guys are listening, don't transfer. Lingard, if you're listening, it's not it's never too late to come it, home. I think it's come, too late. Come home, we got a spot <laughs> for you on the team still. Come back, we need you. But yeah. Maybe he'll pull with Jeff Thomas. He should. Listen, we got two good running backs coming in, though. Don Chaney uh, Jr., I believe, and um, we do have another running back. His his name uh, escapes my mind, but these are two guys that I think are going to come in and push another good running back in Cameron Harris. So I think the running back room will will be good uh, this year again. Um, Monday night. The college football national championship game. This is going to be a good one, JT. LSU, Clemson. I know it's both Tigers. They're going to play in the uh, Superdome in New Orleans. What is, for the fans, JT, the biggest storyline? If there's one storyline you think they need to to keep an eye on. I think it's, can Trevor Lawrence become the greatest college football quarterback of all time? So, can he win back-to-back national championships in his first two years against two really, really perceived dominant teams and just not only become the best college football quarterback ever, but also just become the best pro prospect ever? I think if he comes out and balls out in this game, like that's going to be the narrative, and, he's, and he will totally overshadow Joe Burrow. Ooh, that, that's a good one. I'm going to go with the irresistible force, the LSU offense, against the – Immovable object, the Clemson defense. Because I mean, J.K. Dobbins moved them a little bit in that game. Like, let's be real. Yeah, but does LSU have a running back of J.K. Dobbins? They do. What's your boy, uh, Midget Hilaire? I love him. I love. I love Hilaire. Uh, Don't get me wrong, Clyde Edwards Hilaire. That's his name, Clyde. He's he's a great running back. But let's be honest, he's not J.K. Dobbins, and we know that. Now. LSU hasn't scored fewer than 37 points since October. Clemson allows, on average, 11.5 points per game and 151.5 passing yards only per game. Remember, Clemson shut down Tua in the last two and a half quarters in last year's championship game. And for most, for the most part, after they got behind, what, 10 nothing, they kind of stopped Fields and Dobbins. Now, Dobbins was hurt, but... I think it's going to be that adjustment, right? Burrow's going to have his stats. They're going to come out on fire. But it's that adjustments that the defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, does against Joe Brady and the offensive coordinator at LSU. 
and how they stop Joe Burrow. That's the chess game that the fans need to watch, the LSU offense against that Clemson defense and how the adjustments are made. Because I think that's where it's going to be won or lost. Well, speaking of Burrow, really quick, do you think – I feel like I've been waiting for this to happen all season, not because I want it to happen, just because I feel like – Yeah, you, you do. I, I no, know what I you're like going to say. He, yeah, out, he just came out of nowhere. I mean, he's having an amazing like all-time season. He's going to get paid like ridiculously for it. But do you think this is the game where he finally just turns into a pumpkin and like this is what you expected at some point? No, I don't think. Now, do I think he's going to have a game like he did against Oklahoma or Alabama? Yeah, because actually, it's not the Oklahoma defense. I actually – well, he, he had great numbers and a lot of points against Alabama at Alabama. I just don't think that that's going to happen because I think Venables can make the adjustments, and that's the one defensive coordinator, if anyone, that can stop Burrow or at least contain him. What I'm saying is Burrow's going to get his numbers, but they're going to be contained. He's not going to go off. For seven touchdowns by halftime. Exactly. Or even five. All right. Safe call. So who you got? Prediction. Give me a score if you want. And then an MVP. Oh, I think it's going to be a high scoring game. I think Clemson wins 48 to 45. And I think Lawrence is the MVP. I'm going to go Clemson 30 to 27. That mid-range score there. Travis Etienne. You love him. (laughs) He can play. You do. Yeah. Too bad. He should have came to Miami. All right, let's go over to everybody's favorite section. Quick hitter sponsored by. Ooh, the new year. They didn't renew. I'm going to have to go back, check it out. I'll I'll get some sponsors. Oh, he's so full of it. So keyword is quick here. Uh, Let's go to Philadelphia uh, where the Eagles uh, are out of the playoffs, mainly because Carson Wentz got hurt. Uh, With that being said, do you think with his injury history, they can ever win a Super Bowl with Wentz as their starter? No. No, <laughs> they won't. They, <laughs> plus, they hate him. They're going to bring back Nick Foles. Uh, moving on to college football. Uh, hope I'm saying his name right because somebody corrected me yesterday. Uh, Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa uh, declared himself eligible. Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. See, I've been working on my hooked on phonics. Uh, he declared for the draft and elected not to go back to Alabama. Do you think he made the right move to declare for the draft? No. I, I stated my reasons in previous episodes. What are you going to do, tag him? Absolutely. He has nothing to gain by going back. He loses Jerry Judy. Go get your money, man. All I got to say for him, one name to remember. Go talk to Matt Barkley. Moving on to the NBA, uh, Washington Wizards. Oh, your your boy in your city. Uh, point guard Isaiah Thomas was ejected 88 seconds into the game against Portland last Friday. Uh, for what was called a hostile act towards an official. So if you haven't seen this video, uh, I'll probably post it sometime this week. But go on YouTube and Google Isaiah Thomas getting ejected. Now, you've obviously seen the video, Don. Do you think that the ref got it right and ejected him for this? First, I have two cities, Pittsburgh and the 305. All well, right, that's the first thing. Well, you're in. You're, you're, where are you now? That, <laughs> wherever you are, that's home. I'm that's in the, the D.C. studio right exactly. now, yes. Yes. Um, yes, the officials got it right. He pushed the ref, even though the contact he initially made was from the bump from the other player. But he then clearly gives the ref a shove, and that's a no-no. Okay, he gave him that extra oomph, and like you can't, you can't do that. Period. Yeah, he pushed him like it was a homeboy because <laughs> he he didn't agree with the call he made. Yeah, they got it right. You got to kick him out for that. All right, so moving on. 
Hope I say these people's names correctly. Oh, you know, come you know, on. You know, why, why don't you do this quicker? I know All you right. love this stuff. All right. Undisputed middleweight world champion Clarissa Shields and former welterweight champion Ivana Hobson face off Friday, January 10th in Atlantic City, New Jersey for the vacant WBC and WBO 154-pound world titles. JT, I'm sure you've never seen either one of these women fight, but who wins? Shields, she's the champ. She's undisputed. Until she loses, I got to pick her. <laughs> Flint, Michigan, I believe. Yeah. Flint, Michigan. Yeah, there you go. I'm going to go Clarissa Shields, but I think it'll be a good fight. Maybe go the distance. Maybe this is this fight goes the distance. JT, no weekend predictions. We already made those throughout the show. No sports confessions because the Don is always correct. So let's go to surprise JT. You ready for this one? It's the new year. No, I'm never never ready for these, but go ahead. (laughs) You love them, though. Curb Your Enthusiasm star and Seinfeld co-creator appeared on the Michael K. show earlier this week. And said, do you know what I'm going to say? Maybe. Okay. Said he told then-Jets GM Mike McCannigan to draft Lamar Jackson. So, JT, if you were a GM of an NFL team, would you actually listen to celebrity fans? Well, if I was the Jets GM in that situation, I'd be like, to hell with Lamar Jackson. Tell me what's up with Adam Gates. Like, do I can I trust him? But I don't know. Uh. Probably not. I mean, they don't. They don't do my job. I don't go in there. I don't go to them and tell them, "Hey, look, exactly. like, you should take yep. this script." Yeah, exactly. He's, that dude's playing Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> Next one. A little trivia. How much was Jack Nicholas's first pro golf check? And I and I ask this because it was at the L.A. Open in 1962. Probably. $75. So it was a three-way. He was in a three-way tie for 50th place. The check was for $33.33. I see. I wasn't that far off. That's not bad. That's crazy. I know. What is the 60s, though? <sighs> yeah, true. Unbelievable. Last one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Do you know how much does that equate to uh, adjusted for today? Oh, with inflation? Um I don't know. <laughs> ah, see, we can't, we, see, that's why we can't have you on the show. You're not an analytics guy. <laughs> I thought you were. All right, the last one. I definitely got a chuckle out of this. So, let me explain this one. I don't know if you've heard this one. It involves the Cincinnati Bengals in the Cleveland Browns. Okay? So, <laughs> this is amazing. Let, let me get this right for you. Okay? So, the State Medical Board of Ohio is going to consider a petition that would make being a Bengals or Browns fan an official medical marijuana condition in Ohio. Oh, is that true? I saw that on some random like clickbait site, and I thought it was a joke. It's true. It's true. I'm a Browns fan. Oh, so, I'm I'm the thing is, Where do though, we sign up? the thing is though Baker Mayfield is taking me through too much this season I'm stressed (laughs) this is the thing with it 
the board last year saw like uh, 150 petitions for some of these like approval things. You know how many of the approved? How many? None. None. So there's a there's almost a zero percent chance of this happening. But should the board approve it, JT? In your in your medical opinion, I mean. You're a Steelers fan, so you know how much mental suffering like Browns and Bengals fans go through. <laughs> of course, that's a medical condition. Absolutely, they should approve it. <laughs> that would be amazing, man. You know how many Cincinnati and Bengals and Browns fans there would be all of a sudden? Like They probably have season tickets galore all well, of a hell, sudden. I already have my Bengals hat, so I probably can get in. I'll be all right. Yeah, that, I should have thrown that one away when when we were roommates. But anyway. Stop being a hater. You know, so JT, great episode to the fans out there. Thank you as always for listening. We appreciate it. And remember to please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you find all of your favorite podcasts. And please remember, if you like what you what you hear, or if you like what we do, please leave us a five star review. And JT, if you don't like what we do. Please leave us a five-star review. And also, please follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Handle is at JT and the Dawn. So, JT, until the next episode, see you. Peace.